I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everyone today to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Today's episode is going to focus on physician burnout and how that cross and interacts with healthcare IT because they are interconnected to a degree. Our guest today is an expert, uh, both personally and professionally in this area. But before we get to her, um, I'd like to tell you how I learned very early on in my career about physician burnout. I was a surgical intern at uh, one of the local Pittsburgh hospitals and on call with a junior resident. So there were just two of us on the general surgery service for the evening. So it starts at five o'clock and goes till, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. So about 11, I get this very panicked page. Please come up to the seventh floor. I'm going to call him Bob. I'm not going to use his real name. Need some help. So I said, okay. And he was the junior resident. So got in the elevator up. I went. And when I got there, I found Bob across from the nurse's station, staring at the exit light of one of the stairwells, just standing there completely vacant. He tried to talk to him a little bit. He's like very nonverbal, just almost catatonic. And to make a very long story short, in that particular program, we were on call every other night. So he was horribly, horribly sleep deprived and not functional. So put him, got him a bed, gave him some medication. He went to sleep for about 18 hours. And then we had to decide, what are we going to do? So by that time he was coherent and he looked up at me and said, Jay, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be a surgeon. I don't know whether I want to be a physician. So head of the program came down and Bob left. Bob actually became a very nice, very talented orthopedic surgeon. He finally did go through with it, but he had to have some time away from that intensive, interactive, sleep-deprived state he was in. So throughout my career, I've seen other physicians have similar types of things, but he was by far and away the most dramatic, and it happened three months into my internship. So it got, was very sobering. And from that experience and a few others, I decided not to be a general surgeon. I decided to be an internist because that lifestyle and that way of thinking was just not for me. Now I'm much happier, found what I liked and it, it's a whole different scene and I've had a really great career. So let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Janae Sharp. She's the founder of the Sharp Index, which is a nonprofit dedicated to reducing physician suicide in burnout. And after her former husband died by suicide, she noted the disconnect with physician burnout. So one of the things she said uh, in the past is if our healers can't be healthy, our health system will fail, which I absolutely agree with. She has a background in, in healthcare IT and patient engagement, and she decided to start contributing to the solution with the Sharp Index. The index addresses solutions to help healthcare systems quantify and fix organizational problems that lead to physician burnout. Uh, Janae has served on the boards of the Utah HIMSS, 
Lightning Bolt Solutions and Inside Digital Healthcare Now, which is now Chief Healthcare Executive. She has a lot of passions. So she's into working with companies, with patients, with families, with businesses, and has several hobbies to keep her healthy. And she likes Pokemon Go. Welcome, Janae. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad that we get to sit down and talk about about this important topic, especially um, given your work and background. And I loved that story that you've just told about how people tell themselves they can't do this anymore. Yeah, it, it, it was it was rather sobering. It was rather sobering and early on in my career. So kind of yeah. changed my life in a couple of ways. Your road to healthcare IT and the Sharp Index is quite interesting, how you got to where you are today. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I have to give a disclaimer that I am not always very good at bios. I feel like it's more like a choose your own adventure. You know, it was just going, the story of the story of my life is always varied. Um, I think some of what got me into healthcare IT was the circumstances of my life. And some of it was that I didn't really have that drive and that calling. I didn't know that I had something in life that I really wanted to do other than maybe like, like have a family and have a good life. So when I decided to start working out of necessity, really, I took a lot of risks and I tried to try out a lot of things. One of my sisters sat me down and she's like, you know what you want to do? If you're going to find out what you want to do for work, you can work. That is a great way to find out what you want to do for work. And um, I thought that was great advice. So I started doing things with writing and I started doing things with health IT and technology. I was working with a company that did patient engagement. Also, I had some experience with social media through having like a mom blog and like an Etsy shop. And um, we were featured on Architectural Digest. But if we skip ahead a few years, my husband got his MPH and his MD and did not ever start his residency. He had some pretty severe mental health issues. And, and despite the support of some of his preceptors and his family, he died by suicide. And I remember being really frustrated with the defensiveness that I saw in people that I knew in healthcare once I told them that story. They knew me as someone who was really involved in social media, who loved technology, who knew about health IT. They didn't know anything about my background or my family. And when you share that story, you can see the distance that, that people put up. And you can see that a lot of people have experienced someone in medicine who passed away or died by suicide, and they need to talk about it. So I continued doing work with health IT. I've worked with some great people, including the VA, including um, just a lot of great people who care about doing what's right. And started a nonprofit in 2018, dedicated to reducing physician suicide and burnout. And part of the premise that we had when we started this was that it is a very complex problem and we need as many solutions as we can get. 
Like I don't have the cure-all for everything. And I also didn't have the background in academic medicine where I wanted to publish things. I just wanted to be able to help. And that's how I got where I am today, figuring out where my values and knowledge interact and intersect with, with healthcare and with healing. So tell us a little about the Sharp Index and um, what your goal is with that. The Sharp Index is a nonprofit and we did that on purpose. None of, none of our people are paid at all. All of the donations have been going directly towards the things that we care about, whether that be recognition or direct action funds or looking at individual health systems and how to improve technology. Healthcare is super complicated and burnout and mental health are very complicated. Anything that is promoting the good is something that we care about, whether that be making the technology better or, or empowering people to support, support themselves. And, you know, I, I say like, you know, I want hours and technology to be better, but also like I'm for everybody getting pizza and doing yoga. So we'll take all of it. Um, <laughs> like take the good and leave the bad. And one of the main missions of the, of the Sharp Index is that everyone can make a change. A lot of people say it has to come from leadership. It has to come from the CEO, but it can come from the media. It can come from suicide loss survivors that care. It can come from anywhere and everyone can make a difference. So what is your goal, um, your long-term goal with the index and where do you want to take it? That's a great question. I want it to disappear because we don't need it. Very well put. <laughs> like, this is one of the reasons that I've struggled with knowing, you know, do we build a, like, how, how do things sustain themselves? And a lot of companies are formed to meet a market need and we're formed to eliminate a market need. So it's a great it's a great question. It's a very, it's a question that I don't always know the answer to. I have a, a great board and, and psychiatrists that give us advice and physicians and patients. And um, if I could have anything from the Sharp Index, it would be that people look back at it and are shocked at how bad things were and are shocked that it needed to exist. So you have the Sharp Index Awards every yes. year. And tell us a little bit about how those awards came about and, and how people can get involved or just be a part of it. Yes. Um, so the awards came about from a presentation at the American Telemedicine, Telemedicine Association conference about women in tech. And I don't know if you've ever seen a presentation about women in tech, but a lot of the time a man stands up and says, how can men help? And everybody, everybody starts clapping, right? And one year I, I was like, I'll tell you, someone asked me that, which was probably a mistake on their part. And I was like, I'll tell you how you can help. 
don't come to a conference and ask me a question when you have not done the work on your own because it's not actually hard. Like, don't try to get people to clap. And um, that was mean, but it wasn't. Um, and someone spoke about how to get people to actually want to help instead of instead of just wanting attention. And she said, if you want people to actually invest in women in technology, you give them a trophy and make it a contest. And I am pro-trophy. And I just thought that's, that's true. What gets measured matters. What we incentivize matters. So we need a better way to incentivize doing something positive with physician burnout. We need a better way in the midst of, of sadness and loss, we need a better way to have celebration. So that's why we started the awards to answer the question, like how do we get people involved? How do you make a difference? Well, it's been very successful and that's, I applaud your way of, of doing that. It's, it's the, this like little kids playing soccer, everybody gets a trophy because you participated. So I think that's fascinating. That's funny so too. The, a lot of people are anti, I have a lot of friends who are athletes and they're like serious athletes. One of my friends won a gold medal and, and they have this conversation, this ongoing conversation about participation trophies. You know, they're like, I don't think it's good. Like we have to actually compete. And I was like, look, when I get up in the morning and I exercise, like every day I want a trophy. <laughs> like, like I need more recognition. So I think within the context of that, like participation trophy society, where a lot of people are like, you don't need a participation trophy. Um, I'm saying you, you might not need it, but you can have it. So one of the, one of the things that I have noticed throughout my career is how resistant physicians and other healthcare workers are in asking for admitting they have a problem, um, whether it be depression, burnout, substance abuse, whatever, we're not really great going out and saying, I actually need support or help. You've no. been doing a lot of research around this, this topic. So what is your research telling you about the movement? Are, are physicians and other clinicians reaching out more uh, since the pandemic? Uh, pandemic changed a lot of things. Yes, it changed a ton. I'll tell you, when we started this in 2018, we had all these tools and support groups and the need, the demand wasn't there. People didn't want to come. And when you reach a certain level of burnout and mental health distress, a lot of people disengage and, and don't want to get help. Since the start of the pandemic in March, even we were getting over a hundred phone calls a week, I would say of people who actively wanted help and it's gotten so bad that, that people are willing to reach out. But I think also like, if you look at the news, I, I feel like we're in some ways seeing healthcare workers as human. And I think that matters when you tell people, look, we know this isn't going to be okay. So we want to help you. And physicians are terrible patients. I will agree <laughs> with that. 
And my wife would agree with that as well. Yeah. I am also a terrible patient and I come from a family full of people. My sister drove herself to the hospital while she was having a pulmonary embolism and she wanted to go home. She's like, can I go home now? She was like, I feel really bad. And my leg is swollen. Can I go home now? (laughs) And um, she's lucky to be alive. And I think a lot of healthcare workers are in the same boat. Like they're lucky to be alive and they're, they're lucky to be able to get help, but it has to get real bad before you see physicians and nurses in mass saying we need help. Like anyone who knows physicians, surgeons, nurses knows that this isn't a group that this isn't a group of crybabies. So what do you think people in the industry need to know or be thinking about when it comes to burnout in, in healthcare? Where this is, tell me where IT hurts, uh, which is, I think, a part of it. But like you said before, it's a lot of different moving parts as to how clinicians get to the condition they get into when they really, really, really need the help. Um, so what do you think people in the industry ought to be thinking? I think this is a, the most fascinating time. You know, we see nurses are walking out. Physicians are quitting and they're seeing the power that they actually have and taking it back, taking back the power that they have to say, I want to be a healer and I'm going to be in terms of the industry. I think people need to know you either innovate or you get replaced. Like healthcare is such a giant part of our economy. It's a fifth. And I think a lot of systems didn't realize that they could be replaced by an Amazon or a Facebook. And the best people are the ones that are more dedicated to being able to solve the problem than they are dedicated to the security of the system that they know. I've had mixed feelings about that because a lot of people say leadership has to change. And, you know, the people with the power aren't going to dismantle a system that they're good at. Maybe, but also really smart people are going to realize how to pivot. Technology and technologists realize the best technology is the technology that's invisible and lets you do what you want. It is visible to the degree that you want it there. And in healthcare, there's a huge divide. So I think the future is uncertain. I used to think people like like Facebook and Salesforce, I used to be more skeptical about them breaking into healthcare than I am now. I think our system isn't working and systems that don't meet the demands of their audience are usually either drastically changed or replaced. One of the things that that I've noticed here in the Pittsburgh area where I live, we have two major healthcare systems up here. And I interact with both of them. So it's, I'm not saying one or the other. You're Switzerland. When it comes to that regard, I'm Switzerland. One of the things I noticed at one of these large health systems on the login screen, and that's before the clinician actually gets into a system. Here came up this screen. It said, 
Are you having a bad day? You need to talk to someone. Here's a number before they ever log on. It's, it's amazing. These, the, the wellness program that this particular institution put together to support their clinicians. So I asked one of my colleagues uh, at this institution is how does that work? So he said, it works very well. He says it works very, very well. So I'd like your opinion on not just the IT part of this, we'll get to that in just a minute, but what organizations can do as a whole. I found this fascinating and it seems to work very well. Is that a piece we're missing? Yes, I think it is. I will say that I, I'm not a psychiatrist, but I, I know a lot of people who are in that space and I've seen systems that work and don't. Asking people how they're doing matters for healthcare systems and having real options where people feel like they have freedom. You know, having like a, a seminar at lunch or another learning module that doesn't actually really help. Like you might be checking the box, but having a system where people can have modified schedules, having a system where someone doesn't have to do a lot of notes at home, those things matter. And every system has to design their options based on their audience and based on their employees. I think that's something that is difficult because we want one solution. I also think systems that ask, systems that build it into real employed time and systems that understand the importance of debriefing, those are the three elements that I think have the biggest impact. Like if after you go through something traumatic, build it into your schedule. Like say, you know, you just had your first patient die in medical education. Like let's talk about that. It teaches people the skills they need to deal with the stress of their important work of, of saving lives and of healing, healing our people. So those are three things I think are super important. Ask people, don't just expect them to ask you because I mean, no one's going to do that. <laughs> we talked before, no one's going to ask that. That's I mean, the, it, they're going to wait till they're so far down yeah. a road that it's really hard to find the off ramp. And we live in a society where people ask you every day, how are you doing? And don't care. It's just, a, it's pro forma. I agree. It's absolutely some of it's pro forma. Since you brought it up a little bit about systems and burnout, let's, let's turn to that for just a minute. Clinicians and physicians today are dealing with more and more regulations. We've got 21st century cures. We've got uh, the new Transparency Act where we're required to share all this information which I believe personally is going to be a real problem for physicians once they finally get it. And it, it's still in its infancy here, but I mean, I'm an internist. I had people with paper charts that were well, multiple volumes and three inches thick for each volume. So once somebody sends me that kind of information, what the heck am I going to do with it? And how am I going to sift through it? And now I'm responsible for it. I think no big that's deal. Actually yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's going to add to add to burnout. So what do you think the biggest contributor contributors are in the health IT part of this to physician burnout? That is a great question. 
I do think that technology disproportionately, like EHRs, they act as a proxy for regulation. People are are upset about the number of clicks, but what they're actually upset about is that in order to get paid, they have to have a certain number of clicks. Otherwise, you can't show that your meeting or your patient visit was important enough to get paid at a certain level. Like that's frustrating. So the main problem with technology and healthcare is that the incentives of what you get paid for is not aligned with caring for your patients, period. And there are lots of things surrounding that, but the biggest disconnect is they aren't paying you for what they told you you were hired to do. Maybe that's too short of an answer. I will also say that what kind of fantasy world are we living in when they're telling people they have to do prior authorizations? My insurance company, the button to print out my ID cards doesn't even work on the website. And I couldn't get an account on the website without calling people during business hours. Like they think that a system that literally can't get the buttons on their website to work is going to be capable of doing a simple search into a database of reimbursement codes that by the way, it's inconsistent and this table probably doesn't exist across the board. Um, Sure, I don't know where these people live, but it is not in the world of healthcare. What's interesting is, and I've, every one of the colleagues I talk to says the same thing. They don't like, they don't like the system they're using. It's not helpful, never, never gives them anything back. And I find it interesting. You brought it up about codes. You know, I didn't go to medical school to get a code. I went to medical school to treat patients, not grab a code. And these systems, they're slowly evolving. There, there are positive changes being made, but not near enough as far as I'm concerned about that. Because now we're going to inundate docs with all of this new information of which they're responsible for, can't sift through, can't see. So what do you think is going to happen to it? It's just going to get missed or filed or not used. And you're absolutely right about the systems that are available. They can't. I just went through all this with, with my mother in the last months of her life with her healthcare providers. They can't find anything. So it's really hard to actually deliver care without someone being a patient advocate. So I, abs- I absolutely agree with that. How in the world are they ever going to get to a place where the systems actually help the clinician do what they're doing, which is treat patients, not bill codes or record data. They're, right. That's just, so or someday we'll get there. I'm, that's my hope. Don't hire your EHR to do a job that it is not supposed to do. <laughs> hire you your EHR to help you with billing codes and find a way to make it usable, whether that be scribe, whether that be something that overlays and makes things better, recognize that there are separate jobs there. So we're going to start to wrap up here just a little bit. What else would you like our listeners to know that we haven't talked about, about physician burnout, mental health, as it relates to clinicians, what they can, should be doing? There are so many things. I will say we just did the awards and we have our virtual ceremony in March. And there are some really promising things happening in mental health. This year, we had to have a new category 
because multiple groups had started nonprofits dedicated to reduce, like improving physician mental health, you know, the emotional PPE project, the Lorna Breen Foundation, a direct action fund to help mothers that are nurses and physicians. So I want people to know that this is something that's so important. It's being recognized. And I think most people are tired and that's normal, but it's not okay. I certainly agree. I ask every one of my guests the same question at the end of the interview. So I'll ask it to you. <gasps> if, you had, if you had a magic wand and could wave it and change just one thing in healthcare, what would it be? I mean, I would make us all healthy all the time. However, <laughs> um, if I had a magic wand and I could fix one thing in healthcare, I would make it okay to be imperfect. I would make it so we are able to see someone as a, as a broken and not perfect human and love them anyway and have a place for them. What a wonderful answer. What a great answer. It's hard though. <laughs> it's very hard. I've had a lot of, a lot of guests just say, I, I don't know what to say. And some have come up with 14 things. So if people want to get a hold of you and learn more about you, the Sharp Index and what you do, how would they do that? Thank you for the question. If you want to get involved, we are in line at sharpindex.org. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. Um, we are giving direct grants to mothers in medicine and scholarships for people who are underserved as well as funding research. If you'd like to donate, sharpindex.org or mothersinmedicine.org are great places to start. And we'd love to have you be part of this work and to share your ideas and, and success with us. Today, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been a pleasure and we'll be probably talking to each other at HEMS sometime. Yes. Looking forward thank to you so thank much. you for having me and thank you for sharing your story and your, your work, like supporting the awards and making IT better. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.